All right. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Bible Lab podcast. As always, my name is Ryan Johnson. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at LifeBridge Christian Church, and I'm here with... I'm Jake Spielbauer, and I am also one of the pastors on staff here at LifeBridge Christian Church. We might even say you are like the pastor here at LifeBridge Christian. After this last weekend, um, you know, Mike had announced that you are the senior pastor. Yeah, that's what they tell me. (laughs) No, I'm very excited. Excited about a new season here at LifeBridge and just all the Lord's doing and continuing to teach faithfully through God's word. And uh, would definitely appreciate prayers uh, in that new transition as we... uh, see what God has for us moving forward into the future. So thanks, brother. It's good to be with you today. Congrats. You bet. Hey, as always, we are here at the Bible Lab to uh, bring some insight into our weekend messages, and we hope to provide uh, some godly wisdom along the way and some things to help you ponder uh, into your life, into your spiritual life, what it looks like to follow Christ more closely. That's right. As we've said in the past, our goal each week is to provide deeper conversations about the text we study on Sunday mornings that help enrich your understanding of the Bible and take you deeper in your walk with Christ. And by His grace, that's what we'll aim to do today as well. But before we get to the message, Jake, I have a question. I was uh, pondering this morning and I was thinking, uh, sort of in light of our message on the resurrection, if you could time travel back to anytime, and you could uh, spend one hour with a famous person or whoever it would be, who would you travel back in time to spend an hour with Out, outside of Jesus? And I'm going to say outside, I mean, Jesus isn't dead, but to see him in traveling in the Bible land. And outside, I know many of us know you love the Lord of the Rings series and everything that goes with that. And so beyond uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, Tolkien, and I'm going to also, I think I have to outlaw C.S. Lewis, a good friend, because I just, I, we got to hear who, who would, who's somebody you'd love to spend that that's, hour with. That's brutal. I mean, you're just, you're really putting some boundaries on that for me that are difficult. So I'll actually say this might be a, a little uh, change of pace, but uh, we celebrated the birthday of the late uh, Marquette graduate. Uh, yeah, I'm also an alumnus of uh, Marquette, of uh, the late Marquette graduate, Chris Farley. Uh, Wisconsinite, good old Wisconsin boy. Um, I loved Chris Farley growing up as a comedian and uh, enjoyed laughing at his movies. And uh, I think if I could go back in time and spend time hanging out with, you know, obviously I'd love for him to be emotionally healthy. You know, that would have been great to to know a healthy Chris Farley and to be around someone uh, so fun, so creative, so innovative in comedy would have been would have been great as a kid. Little known fact: uh, Well, as like a middle school, early high school kid, I actually took improv classes, like like the Michael Scott route. You know, <laughs> I um, <laughs> I did. We uh, I was part of an improv team uh, at uh, Comedy City here in town, and uh, I think that was just the Lord preparing me for uh, preparing for preaching a little bit. There, <laughs> get you up on stage. Yeah. yeah. Oh, hey, you know, I actually did not know that Chris Farley went to Marquette. I knew he was from Wisconsin. I did not know he was a Marquette grad. Yeah, if you uh, if you watch the movie Tommy Boy, um, and uh, you know, uh, there's a scene early on where you know I wouldn't endorse the behaviors in the scene. You know, all the disclaimers, but you know he's uh, at a house party and he's wearing a Marquette rugby shirt, similar to what the band still wears at Marquette games. Oh, that's so, awesome. 
There you go. A little Easter egg for you. How about you? Who uh, who would be on your list? I had one in my head as I thought about this, but I'm but I'm going to change it last minute. I and I think I would go back. I would spend an hour with uh, the late Kobe Bryant for an hour. Well, that's a good I one. just I just really think that I always grew up a Kobe fan. Um, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, so we saw the Lakers come through town to play my Portland Trailblazers. They knocked us out of championship games uh, several times, and I just think getting his uh, a read on his mentality, and I don't think a lot of people realize, um, you know, he was really searching out faith. He had uh, been a part, I believe, of the, the Catholic Church and um, and was searching some of those things out, and I'd be curious how that played with his perfectionism in life and his drive to be um, just just so great in all that he did. But he was also a great dad, and I just, that life balance of being really good at what you do, loving your family, uh, walking in faith, I just, and it's, Co- and it's Kobe. It's Kobe. That's a great answer. Yeah, that Mamba mindset, such a different wiring mentally that enabled him to just outwork everyone. I agree. That's a, that's a great answer. Well, thanks for sharing that, man. Um, yeah, this week we're on the topic of resurrection, and specifically this past Sunday, we studied from 1 Corinthians 15, which is Paul's magnum opus on the resurrection. If you want to understand the Christian doctrine of the resurrection, you start in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, it's He goes in detail exploring many of the questions that we have about what happens after we die. And, and so there's a lot that gets touched on about this in the New Testament, but probably nowhere quite as expansive and as thorough. I mean, it's almost as if Paul is anticipating the questions that we're going to ask about resurrection and just answering them one by one before he finally brings it all together and connects it to our daily life. Yes, and you, you had a lot of great um, thoughts and content. I love the commentary you gave on the passage. Um, and, but I wanted to bring us back to one of the, the main points you had, just to spend a little more time sitting on it. Maybe somebody missed this weekend. Um, but one of your points was uh, that we have a great victory over death through Jesus. Can you just um, maybe draw out, explain again, what what victory do we as a Christian have over death, uh, you know, today in this life and, and even the life to come? But what victory do we have over death? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And one of the points that we made, um, and I think this is, kind of the why, uh, before we get to the what of our victory, um, why victory matters is because it is something that we often fail to grasp. Um, The victory of Christ is the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that Christ has won. Now, people get this confused because we think that the message of the gospel is repent. Yeah, okay, but that's not the message of the gospel. That's the, our response to the gospel. An appropriate response to the gospel is because Jesus has won, because he has been vindicated as God's chosen Messiah and as Lord of all things, as evidenced in his victorious resurrection from the dead, therefore all the nations are called to come to him in repentance. So then what it means to be a Christian is to then take that victory and to experience it and to live it and to truly claim it as your own by coming under the lordship of Jesus. And so this this idea of Christ's victory is at the center of our faith, and we often fail to grasp the implications of it. Now, the nature of that victory is kind of twofold, okay? 
the the first is that death itself loses okay if resurrection is true is really a hope for us that there there really is truth to Jesus's claim that anyone who believed in him would never die okay in the sense that though we may experience physical death that yet again one day we shall live with him in eternity in an undying and newly redeemed heaven and earth uh, when they've become one. Um, so if that's the case, then death truly has lost because death is not a permanent condition for the Christian. Okay, Though we die, we yet shall live. That's the victory that we experience. But then what comes down from that is that's not just a hope for beyond this life, that if, if that victory is secure, that through Christ we have assurance that we will be raised with him for eternity so that death has lost its grip on our future, then also death is stripped of its power in this present life. Now, if you think about it, death has all kinds of power because when we think about death, what are the feelings we experience? We feel anxious. We feel fearful. fearful. We feel as fallen humans, let's be honest, we approach death with trepidation because the prospect of standing before Almighty God, which we are told in scriptures, we will stand judgment for him. Because our, our flesh is corrupted by sin, rightly so, even after becoming Christians, there's still a bit of trepidation and fear in us. And so death has power, not just over our future, but its power is seen in the present. So for the one who's come into Christ then and has been brought from death to life and has received the gift, the promised gift of eternal life with Christ in a restored heaven and earth as they've become one in the presence of the Lamb, then death's power in the present age is lost. It's defanged because we start to then lose our fear of death, our anxiousness about what comes beyond death, uh, our, our, our sense of innate guilt or fear of standing judgment before God in Christ, these things start to wash away. That's why we sing, hey, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. Well, what, what power of Christ? The power of resurrection. So as we hold on to and we grasp the realness of Christ's victory, it starts to wash away the power of death to corrupt our present life. I love that. Um, I love that picture where it's this. It's this grasping. I remember uh, in in college having a professor who had his, his like biological kids, and then he had uh, an adopted son, and the adopted son had all the rights of his biological children. It was there, but he he hit this rebellious stage and felt like he didn't belong and felt like he like he couldn't be there and, and he ended up running away. and And they were able to to rebound from that and be a healthy family. But there was just this part where he just so longed for his son to grasp on to his, to his familyhood, to his name of you're, you're mine. You have the same rights in this family. Um, and, and that's what I kind of hear the picture you're laying out. We have this victory in Christ. We only need to grasp hold of it so we can, so we can lose fear. Yeah. So almost like, a, and I think you hit this in your message as well, like an athlete, we can go out and we can perform without fear of failure. Mm-hmm. Because the victory has been claimed, if yeah. only we'd reach out and grab it. Uh, but the, uh, it brings me, and kind of a similar question I had is: is why then do we still feel the sting of sin 
in light of Christ's victory. Yeah. He has won, but man, some days, some days it, it just hurts, and we, we're left a little bit without understanding or... Absolutely. Well, I, I think about it this way, and this is off the top of my head, so no, met, no metaphor or illustration is perfect, right? Uh, there's a difference between... Imagine yourself going to an art museum, okay? And um, you will make your way around and you'll go see, you know, a Van Gogh or, you know, something like that. And, and as you go to look at it, you might be moved by a picture of it, okay? Um, but you are separate from an experience of that. And what I mean by that is that's a 2D image. You cannot immerse yourself in that image, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, there's separation, and I'm sure, you know, someone's, some scholar somewhere has written about, you know, the nature of, you know, our relationship with art. You experience art at a distance because it, it's apart from you. There's, there's, there's a separation between uh, the audience and the art. Um, one of the intriguing things about, you know, uh, our technological age is, you know, if you, um, I actually remember seeing, uh, and this is not an endorsement in any way, a commercial for the metaverse, right? And if you watch it, there's these people at an art gallery. It's a super annoying commercial. Uh, it, <laughs> I was so sick of seeing it, but uh, they're standing and looking at a painting, and then all of a sudden they're immersed in the painting, mm-hmm. right? Because they're experiencing the painting in, in virtual reality. Um, and so um, all that to say, I think we often view um, resurrection as a theory to be understood rather than a reality to be immersed in and experience in the present life. We experience it like a painting far off that we're observing from afar. Um, and so we think about because it's, it'll be fulfilled fully in the future, it's, I, there's a distance between myself and that reality. When really the biblical picture is that through Christ, resurrection is a future reality that's become real now that we actually are immersed in through an experience of Christ and his spirit inside of us. Now, what makes that difficult is, you know, to your question, we don't always feel like that. It's not easy to feel like that because we're also immersed in a world filled with sin. Um, And the reason the world is filled with sin is because it's still filled with people whose flesh are filled with sin, right? Um, Death still has power because sin still reigns in the hearts of sinful humanity. Um, even in our own hearts, though we've been redeemed by Christ and though we're being sanctified by Christ, we're fully forgiven by Christ, but the fullness of sanctification hasn't yet taken hold. We're, we're being transformed, right, into Christ's likeness, but that's not a finished job. Anyone who's been an earnest Christian for any amount of time knows sin still reigns in some sense, still, sin still has power in your body, right? Otherwise, we would never be tempted, and the sanctification process would be complete. And so because sin still corrupts our flesh, in a sense, um, and hopefully progressively less and less as we're sanctified in Christ, because sin still has sway in our hearts and in the hearts of mortal man, right, um, we still feel the sting of death. That's why. Um, And because sin still reigns, we still see death's little uh, claws in everything. Okay, We we see it in sickness. We see it in disease. We see it in 
the aches and pains, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday, that there's a, there are these reminders that our flesh has still been corrupted by sin, and though Christ has begun immersing us in the reality of his resurrection, that the work is not yet complete, and his resurrection and redemption have not yet fully swept over all of the earth. There are still effects of the curse that uh, that are yet to be undone, and the promise of Scripture that's great is that there will come a day when knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth, right? When the Spirit of God will complete the process of making heaven and earth one. And on that day, every last little stronghold of sickness or sin or oppression or injustice or evil will be flooded out from the cracks and crevices of creation and washed away in the flood of, of Christ's goodness and love. But that hasn't happened yet. And so we still experience... Uh, these pains, we still feel the effects of the curse, we still hesitate and feel fear about our sin, we're still troubled by sin in this life until the day when when Christ makes it all new. And unfortunately, um, until Christ comes back, the only way that we'll ever be free of that is to pass through death. (laughs) (laughs) There's like a great hope there, and and yet... um... And yet, there, and I admit, and maybe it's a conviction I'm feeling as you share this. There's a bit of sadness in my own life that I will experience death, and therefore a, a separation from um, from my wife, from my son. If I, you know, if I die before them, when I die before them, um, and and that is, I I think that's a little convicting. If I, in my own head, I can hold it out there. It is a promise from God that I have, but if I'm honest, I don't live in that reality. There's mm-hmm. there's fear and uh, in, in trepidation and time. I, at times I know I go to bed and I'm like, well, wh- what if this is the last time I get to, to kiss my baby boy before, uh, you know, one of us passes in our, in, in our sleep and it, and it, um, if I, if I sit on that, it, you know, mm-hmm. it hurts. Yeah. Um, and so learning to live, I, one of the comments you had that I really liked one of your points was learning to be, to be grounded in that victory today. Right. Um, and then I think that for me, I, I guess I'm thinking that's part of the sanctification process. We just come to grips with that and because lo- we have such high hope of what will come and making sure we bring that closer and closer, which I think for me, I find as I spend more time in God's word, that does bring that more to a reality. It's less theoretical and it's more of, oh, e- even the the new, the, the young church, the, they lived in that reality. And in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, they were living in this fear in the sense of people are dying away and they were curious what would happen. And thankfully we get a clear picture from, from God's word. Yeah. What that looks like. The church has always had to wrestle with the heaviness of death. Paul wrote first, first Thessalonians four deals with a lot of the same um, concepts as first Corinthians 15. And the occasion for the scripture in first Thessalonians four is people are dying in the church. Persecution in Thessalonica. Believers are being killed for their faith. And the believers are asking, where's our resurrection hope now? Right? I thought Jesus won. Um, How do we understand persecution and hardship and suffering and shame? And Paul points them to um, the reality of death and the hope of resurrection, that we will pass through death. It's the final passing away of all of the corruption of our flesh. Okay, now God doesn't say our bodies are bad. He doesn't say physical things are bad, right? But our bodies in their current form are affected by the curse. And the only way to pass through that is to pass through death 
or to experience resurrection. And so until Christ returns, we will continue to wrestle with the heaviness and the necessity that we can, will, and must die in order to be raised again. Um, We don't talk about that enough, Um, but we all feel it. And certainly as we move into old age and our bodies begin to fall apart, that promise becomes increasingly precious. But yeah, it is, it is difficult, and, um, and that's why we must make that victory our own. We must grasp it. We have to meditate on it, return to it, and talk about it. You know, frankly, and we discussed this yesterday, we don't, uh, or on Sunday, we, um, we don't talk about it enough. You know, often resurrection is kind of passed over in how we explain and understand the gospel. Yeah, and that, um, that reminds me of a, of a quote you had yesterday about it from uh from charlie dates uh where he said the bodily resurrection of jesus was and is the capstone of the gospel and it was kind of in your section we don't talk about this enough and yet the reality is this is the 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 capstone project on uh, on jesus's life if you will this is the great hope we have what um how how would you or why would you describe that um, as the capstone to Jesus's uh, ministry to the gospel? Yeah, I I would say first of all it's the completion of his work. So in a sense, it's a capstone because it's the completion of his work, and it's the capstone also in a sense because it's the crowning glory of of what he came to accomplish. Right. So if I could spell that out, I'd say it's the completion of his work. It's also the ultimate end and goal of his work, the, the crowning achievement, right? So the completion of his work means that um, without resurrection, right, without the resurrection of Christ, we're forgiven, but dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. some good news. Forgiven, but you're going to die and that's you're going to pass. Yeah. That's great. Um, I, I can die knowing my sins are forgiven, mm-hmm. but the curse still wins. The curse of Adam still wins, and I'm, I'm dead. Um, so it's, it's vital to recognize that the cross, though the cross is central to the gospel, my goodness, we are, uh, the blood of Christ on the cross. I mean, come on, we plead the blood. We are a, you know, a, a church that, that wants people to come to the cross and to lay down their sins. We're not going light on sin and judgment and atonement. I mean, it's, you know, not at all, right? Uh, the cross is central to the gospel, but it's not. It's not the final act. The, the culmination, the climax of all of Scripture is the resurrection. I mean, you know, honestly, we, we talked about this the other day, that uh, we wear crosses around our neck. Really, we should be wearing symbols of the resurrection around our neck because um, we are people who are called to take up our cross. But ultimately, our hope, our celebration, our boast is that our Savior beat death. You know, my dad can beat up your dad. Our Savior beat up death. Right, yep. that that's our boast and our claim, and really we should be we should be wearing you know rolled away stones as as emblems of our identity in Christ because it is the completion of His work is the re, is His resurrection from the grave His victorious triumph. Um, scripture calls it His vindication. He was vindicated not at the cross, right? He was killed at the cross, murdered at the cross, took on our sins at the cross. Uh, he was vindicated in his resurrection and ascension, where now God has glorified his body and placed him in a seat of highest honor and authority where he 
now rules all things in heaven and on earth. Um, so in that sense, it's the capstone because it's the completion of his work. And secondly, um, it's the capstone because it's what he came to accomplish. Um, Christ's mission was to ransom us from the powers of death so that we might enjoy eternal communion with him. Basically, God wants to have an eternal victory party. He wants us there. He wants us to enjoy his presence. And he wants to enjoy our presence. Not that That's we good. have not that we have some innate, you know, that God needs us, but he is a God of communion, fellowship, and love. The resurrection brings about God's greatest desire, which is relationship with his creatures. And so the goal of Christ is to bring new creation to the earth so that all things are redeemed and restored and God's eternal victory party can take hold here in the present. Because the promise, and I I think we're going to get into this in just a minute, the promise of resurrection is that what started with Christ carries to us Mm -hmm. and then eventually spills over into all of creation. Yeah. So in those two ways, I would say that's mm-hmm. that's why resurrection is the capstone, because it's the completion of Christ's work and because it's the goal of the gospel. Yeah, that's good. And I and I'm just reminded, you know, Paul says if, if Christ is not resurrected, then our faith is meaningless. It, yeah, it's invalid. It's the, the the Christian message doesn't matter and we're we're liars and frauds and it doesn't. You know, it's yeah. only by his resurrection that, that he's proven to be who he said he was. Otherwise, he's just another good guy who who died a martyr's death in, yeah. by, by the Roman emperor. Well, even to be the divine God-man mm-hmm. and to die for the sins of his people and then to stay dead, <laughs> right? That's no hope at all. Yeah. So, yeah. you're exactly right. Um, you know, and, and we'll bring this kind of, I think, full circle here going back. I sort of this idea of, of, of grasping the victory, but you had um, kind of lastly, uh, I believe it was a quote that, that, um, that Mike had, had sh- has shared over time. And, uh, and it was this, and I just, I thought, uh, I, thought it, I thought it was great. We live in a kind of a, a psychologically friendly environment. And I, and I say that to say we, we don't take sin lightly. We don't take um, repentance lightly. And yet... Um, we do live in a in a reality that we are God's creatures made in His image, and He has a deep love for us. and um, And so I love this this quote you gave that said, uh, "If people could see themselves the way God does and love themselves in that way, we'd live and love differently." Uh, explain again. I, I guess it brings my mind. Why is it so important? We see ourselves, and we and we. It sounds weird to say, but we, we love ourselves or love others uh, the way that God does. Yeah, that's a great question. And let me backtrack and take a very long way, as you know, you'd probably expect me to do, take a very long way around at this one. Um, the hope of resurrection is not to be spiritually disembodied and to float around in the ether Right, in some misty, mysterious, vague, you know, existence. You know, um, oftentimes when people think resurrection, they think about spirits, you know, us just kind of drifting around, um, 
in the gray of what, whatever, you know. Yeah. Or they get a picture of us sitting on clouds and playing harps, as is often depicted in, in uh, classical art. Um, but our hope is so different than that, and we've done such a disservice because we've neglected to teach uh, the doctrine of the resurrection clearly. People, you know, I think commonly in the church we don't have a clear conception of, of what our hope is. Our hope is this that as Christ was raised, this is First uh, Corinthians 6.14, I think I mentioned this yesterday, um, as Christ was raised, so too will we be raised. Okay, uh, That's the promise we're given. As Christ, so us. Romans 6, which we quote at baptism, right, says, you've been united with Christ in a death like his at baptism, so that you might be raised with him in a resurrection like his. So that's symbolized in baptism. We go under the water, death. Out of the water, resurrection. What we're told is that that's actually what we will experience, right? That that baptism is symbolic um, of what we will experience with Christ when we actually do physically die and then are physically raised. And so as Christ, so us. That's the New Testament teaching, as Christ, so us. So if we look at the Gospels and we ask, how was Christ raised? Christ was not raised as a ghost, okay? Um, in fact, he did many things after his resurrection that proved he was not a ghost, and the express purpose of those miracles was to demonstrate that this was not a spiritual resurrection. Many critics of the early church in the first few centuries claimed that, yeah, sure, he was raised in some spiritualized sense. That's what the Gnostics taught, right? That Christ was raised in some spiritual sense because they thought the body was evil and no one could possibly believe in a Savior who was raised again and had a body. Why would God give him a body, right? Because matter, bodies are icky and, you know, gross and physical. And um, But Jesus came and he walked through a wall. <laughs> we have that recorded. Uh, so uh, something changed. And then he sat down and had a meal and ate fish with his disciples. Okay. Uh, a, a ghost doesn't do that. A spirit doesn't do that. Um, only someone with a real body does that. Thomas comes and sees Christ with, with his own eyes and touches him and touches the holes in his hands and feels that Jesus has realness. So um, if we're asking how has Christ been raised, he has been raised physically in a physical, real body that has glorified spiritual properties. It's been perfected, okay? So now if we take the New Testament teaching of as Christ, so us, then we also expect that we too will be raised in real bodies with glorified spiritual properties, which is exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that our current bodies in their form um, cannot be raised or cannot, can, cannot contain the weight of eternal glory because our flesh has been corrupted by sin. So something has to happen so that we can contain the weight of glory, and that is that we pass through death and are raised again like Christ in glorified spiritual bodies that are no longer bound by the effects of the curse so that we can exist with Christ in eternal glory. Okay, So that's the Christian hope, as Christ, so us, and then all of creation. Scripture then carries the doctrine of resurrection forth, and you read about this in several places in the New Testament, um, that uh, Christ was the firstfruits, okay? Firstborn from the dead, okay? Then us, and then all of creation. That through Christ, resurrection was breaking into the world, that we will be raised, and then God's master act, the completion of it all, is 
resurrection of all things when he makes heaven and earth one. And we have a new heaven, a new earth, where God dwells in a real place with real people who have real bodies. That's, that's the hope. That's how the scriptures finish in Revelation. The city of God has come. God is dwelling among his people. We don't need lights anymore because God himself is the center of the city and we exist with him in eternal joy where we do things like walk on streets, okay? Where there are rivers and trees. Those are features of the heavenly reality that we're told about in Revelation and where we feast together in the presence of the Lamb right? We will laugh in heaven. We'll sit around tables in eternity with Christ. We will eat and drink and be merry, not in an earthly, fleshly sense where we do it for our own gratification, but where we enjoy God perfectly and we enjoy one another in perfect friendship, and we get to experience it for eternity. Now, to come around to your question, that's, like I said, that's a very long way to get there. We have to ask ourselves, if that's the future, what does it tell us about the heart of God? tells us that we have a God who deeply desires for us to enjoy him and who deeply desires to enjoy us. Relationship isn't something that God does accidentally or tangentially or on the side. God's heart, his burning heart of love for his creatures is that he wants to be with them in joy. That's what he desires for you. Why would he go through all this trouble, all this business of taking the penalty for sin and death, of remaking the heavens and the earth. Why would he do all of that? All the work of raising us in new glorified bodies, all the work of sharing the gospel to the ends of the earth so that others may come to faith and be raised with him, and so that he would be glorified and so that we would be satisfied, right, in his presence. Um, What does that tell us about a God like that? Well, that he loves you. That uh, through no merit of your own, okay, Uh, Even though you have been corrupted and um, affected by sin, though you have rebelled against him, yet he loves you, his love for you endures, and he desires you. And he desires for you to enjoy him and to delight in him, and he desires to heal you, restore you, raise you. And if you can really take hold of that, if you can really wrap your head around that or start to wrap your head around that, because admittedly it's tough for us, to get, to get that God would love us in that way. If you can wrap your head around that, think about how that changes the way that we live in this life. If I'm loved with a love like that, I can do anything. I can endure anything. I can uh, be, as Paul then tells us at the end of the chapter, I can be steadfast. Why? I'm grounded in, in a resurrection love. I can be immovable. Why? Because I'm grounded in resurrection love. I can abound in the work of the Lord. Why? Why would I excel in the work of the Lord? Because, boy, just like Paul said in Galatians 2.20, all that I do, I do, you know, for Christ because he loved me and he gave himself for me. Um, When we talk about resurrection, what we have to come back to is love. And I have to give Pastor Mike credit because that's a Pastor Mike-ism. If people could just see themselves the way that God sees them, it would solve the vast majority of the things that we struggle with. Um... And, uh, and I love that because I think there's so much truth in understanding that the heart of the gospel is resurrection love. And, uh, and that's what I pray people would, would grapple with, wrestle with, meditate upon. Um, if you're listening to this today, 
and uh, you've never thought about the resurrection, know this, that the victorious resurrection of Jesus is because of his victorious love for you. You can share in that victory. You can experience that victory. We will still feel the heaviness of sin and death and struggle and pain and suffering in this life, but we can take hold of the reality of that victory, and we can experience God's healing, restoring, redeeming, and resurrection power at work in our lives today. And what God calls us to do is to come to him, come to him in faith, to repent of our sins, to lay our life down at the foot of the cross so that he can raise us up in hope and in joy. That's our prayer. And as you listen to this podcast week by week, know that we desire that you would experience that love, that you would take hold of it for yourself. Um, hey, if you have questions that you want us to deal with this on this program, uh, we always want to hear from you. We want this to be beneficial and useful for equipping and building up the church. And so if you have uh, questions, hit us up. Bible Lab at LifeBridgeGB.org is our new address. You can uh, message us and send us things you're wondering about, and maybe we'll even deal with it here on the show. We uh, pray that this has been beneficial for you, and we look forward to talking with you again next week. Thanks for joining with us here on The Bible Lab.